Fantastic. All right. Welcome to another episode of The Information Revolution, a podcast for people who work in the information industry or who have a general interest in it. My name's Carl Melrose. I'm a consultant in South Australia, and I'm here today with two of my colleagues and a very special guest. <laughs> and I'm Judy Verno. I'm in Wellington. I'm an information architect. Michael Upton. I'm also in Wellington, and I'm an information management consultant. And I'm James Price. Um, I'm the managing director of an organisation called Experience Matters. Um, but we, we, we're Experience Matters because we're all old and fat and bald. We've been in the industry for a very long time, and, we, and, it's, and it's all about how do we drive business outcomes from managing our data, information, and knowledge well. Fantastic. Yeah. And thank you for agreeing to uh, join our little uh, soiree today. Um, My pleasure. It was particularly topical because last week we, we were – we were discussing information valuation, and I know that that's a topic that you and I have discussed many, many times. Um, and you know, it's something that ja I, I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but uh, I just happened to pop onto Amazon.com yesterday and searched for it, look, looking for looking for stuff on information asset management. And guess whose brand new book popped up? being released on, I think it's the 22nd of January. So, James, I may be the first person to buy your new book because I don't think even you were aware that it's been released. I, I had I had no idea until you until you sent me that text that the book was ready, was, was ready for, was, was already out in the market, yeah. Excellent. Well, well, I, uh, I, I have a pre-order, so I will look forward to receiving my copy on the 22nd of January. Um, but, James, I mean, if, if we back up a little bit, um, I mean, the, the first time I think I became aware of your work was, was a, a paper that you'd written with an academic from the University of South Australia that I think was quite formative for you and also really helped me understand where information management was struggling. Um, can, you, can you talk us through that, that piece of research? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, um, I, Dr. Nina Evans from the University of South Australia and I, um, we, we were sitting on a board that advises the, um, the, what is now the STEM school on their, on their, um, their, their course on built business and information management, business information management, library information management. And I stupidly asked the question of why is this course in the is, is, why is it in the STEM school? It was in, in those days, it was the school of mathematical and computing science. And, um, I got the sort of wishy-washy answer, but Nina said to me, James, we need to talk because clearly the management of data, information and knowledge is, an, is, a, it is, a, it is a behavioural issue and it is a business issue. It has, it has nothing to do with IT, and, and I know that sounds contentious. It has nothing to do with IT. Is IT a, a valuable business partner? Is it a, should it be a symbiotic relationship? Absolutely, it should be. But um, what, what the research was about, we, we'd noticed that, that data, information and knowledge is a critical business asset, just, just anecdotally. But we also noticed that it wasn't being managed well. And, and, and within a week, we were interviewing National Australia Bank on the topic of what are the barriers to managing data, information, and knowledge well, and, what's, and what are the benefits of doing so? And that started the most fascinating research, which we've conducted um, on three continents, we've in, in, in Australia, <clears throat> in South Africa, and in North America. 
We've interviewed over 70 C-level executives and above, and, and we've basically asked them, what are the barriers to you guys managing your, your data, information and knowledge well? And, it, and we, were, we were inundated by this flood of, of reasons why data, information and knowledge is managed badly and, and what the business implications are. And fundamentally, um, <clears throat> it comes down to some, some really basic things. We, we, the, the business governance is, isn't in place. We, we don't understand how to justify um, the, the, inv- in, the continuous investment in data quality and keeping your, your information assets of high quality. Uh, the executive doesn't understand this stuff. Um, there is um, some of, the, some of, the, some of the, the, the systems and practices are not fit for purpose. So, for instance, um, you guys know as well as, as we do that, that um, the, the generally accepted accounting principles and, and the, the financial standards and so on won't allow you to capitalise information and put it on the balance sheet. So those are the, those are the kinds of categories that, that, that fell out of, of, of this research. Um, and, and we were, you know, we were, Carl, we were, we didn't know whether we were on the, on the right track or not. And then within, within 48 hours of our first paper being published, Doug Laney, who at that stage was a, um, um, an analyst at Gartner and subsequently wrote this book, Infonomics, for, of which you're probably all well familiar. Um, within 48 hours, Doug wrote to us and said, your, your work is tremendous, your research is groundbreaking. Now, when Gartner writes to you and says that, you think, crikey, we, we are on the right track. So then what happened... Carl, is, is that, un, that unfolded over, over a number of years? We've published multiple papers on various aspects of that, and we've tried to summarise all of that. Nina and I have tried to summarise all of that in, in this book, which is about to be published. Does that answer the question? I think it does. And, and so your, your practice these days... How, how do you how have you oriented your practice around some of that research and where do, where does information value and valuation come into it there's there's really two things you need um, you need to understand what the business impact is of managing your data information and knowledge well or badly and again teasing this knot over years we've identified five areas of business impact the first is risk if you don't manage your risk well you're going to get, and, and you, you know, your, your data information and knowledge, well, you are going to get hacked and it's going to be expensive and it may be career ending. Um, there's also a whole swag of other unpleasant implications of, of not managing your data information and knowledge well. Your, 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 your business recovery is compromised. Your, dis, your disaster preparedness is, is, is hard. Um, you can't comply as well as you otherwise might. You can't instigate or li- instigate or defend against litigation. There's a whole there's a whole raft of risk, but there's a whole but raft of risk based business implications. And when we need to manage our risk well, and the, the issue about data information and knowledge is, if we can't find it and use it, it is no longer an asset. It's a liability, right? And and that and that language is. When we were only just seeing the term information assets emerge, that's only that's really only been in the last few years. Now we're starting to think about information liabilities, and that's starting to get really interesting. The second area of business impact is in the area of cost. It costs us to manage our information. 
every time we open an email, every time we search for something, every time we search for something we can't find, particularly if we if we if we know it's there, um, every time we're involved in some sort of knowledge ex- knowledge exchange, like we are at the moment, it's costing us. Now, Microsoft has just released Copilot. In the blog, prior to the release of Copilot, was some fascinating statistics. Microsoft themselves said, we need another productivity tool. Copilot is going to be it. The reason is, is that the average heavy user gets 250 emails a day. This is, this is Microsoft's numbers. The average, the average heavy user gets 250 emails a day. They get 150 Teams chats a day. They search for something 18 times a day and they are in three times as many online meetings as they were in 2020. Now, when on earth do you start work? Yeah. Right? When do you start work? Half past four in the afternoon by the time you've dealt with all this rubbish. Now, why do we have all this stuff? Well, because we've got productivity tools. We've got email. There's 250 of them coming in. We've got Teams. We've got 150 chats. We've got SharePoint. We've got OneDrive. We've got we've got shared we've got shared folders. We've got all this productivity tools. We've got all these productivity tools, and they're not being productive. Why? Because we don't understand the the, the cost of managing this information. We don't understand this, particularly. We don't understand the cost of managing it badly. So if we manage it badly. You put stuff in the wrong place and you call it the wrong thing and people spend their time trying to find it. You not only have the cost <clears throat> of managing the information badly, you have the cost of, of, of fixing that up. And it's like digging a hole in the wrong place. Okay, so you dig a hole in the wrong place. Then what you've got to do is you've got to fill it in and dig the hole in the right place. So you've got two costs. And then you've got the third cost of the opportunity cost that you sh- of the work that you didn't do because you were doing things like filling in holes. So there's a cost of managing information. There's a a value of information. Now, information has a value, and and sometimes it can be significant. So we did a piece of work with a um, a global uh, wine company. They wanted to sell some of their harvest and yield data. They normally give this stuff away because... They give it away for research purposes and so on. But an ag tech company came to them and said, we really want to, 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 to this, this information. And the wine, the, the wine company said, well, why do you want it? We want to sell it. Well, in that, in that case, we're not going to give it to you. We're going to... So they came to us and they said, what's this worth? We've got no idea. So we helped them put a value on it and they, um, they, they, they sold it and they drove a 1,200% return on investment over three years. They broke even in 13 weeks. And this is an organisation that when they put a, a vineyard in, they want to break even in five years. So, so there's, a value to the, there's a value to the information assets that we have in our organisation. And, and one of the things we like to ask our clients is, what are your most valuable assets? So the South Australian Police Force is unequivocally the most important asset we have in our, in our organisation is our people. And those people have a whole lot of knowledge about how to go about being a great police person. You know, how do they, how do they, how do they deliver their services to the community? So there's a value. There is benefit from managing it well. So <clears throat> same industry, a, um, a, a winery down in McLaren Vale came to us and they said, we'd really like you to help us put some structure around our information. So all we helped them with 
with some really simple stuff. We gave them some naming conventions so they knew what to call stuff. We gave them, we, we helped them develop the naming conventions. We helped them develop um, a final plan that was intuitive because it matched the business. We gave them some email guidelines. And then they said, the first thing that happened was we got stopped in the car park of McGill Estate, which is where this organisation was headquartered, by a bloke who doesn't even work in the back office. They work in the pumps and the tanks. And, they, and this guy said, this is fantastic. We can find stuff. I mean, brilliant. And then the winery manager said, let's have a look at the benefits we've, we've driven out of this. $10,800 per person per year in productivity improvements. That's a 10% business performance improvement from doing some really simple stuff. I mean, really simple stuff. From doing titling, a file plan, and some email guidelines. I mean, <laughs> it all comes back to titling. But, but, but I don't, but Carl, I don't have many business managers that come to us and ask for that. They, they you know, they want to go off and buy SharePoint or Copilot yeah. or, or electronic records and document management. It's just pointless. But, but it and, is, and, and the and the last thing, the last is so, so we've said we've we've covered we've covered risk, we've covered cost, value, benefit, and we've and the, and the last one is ethics, and if we don't get our head around our corporate heads around ethics, there's going to be trouble. So, so <clears throat> managing data data information and knowledge is really important because there are significant finance, tangible and non and, and intangible implications, financial and non-financial, and unless we get the chief financial officers to understand this stuff, then nothing will happen. So a chief financial officer worth worth his or her salt will not even look at a business case unless they see there's a, there's, a, there's a reason to do so. Once there's a problem to solve, they'll say, let's have a look at this and let's see if the numbers work. And if the, num if the numbers add up, then we'll do the project. But most of these projects are justified on IT. Right? They're not justified on the benefits of managing information assets well. Mm. And then what will normally happen is that the project will be done, everybody will, you know, it'll be completed, project close out, round of applause, everybody happy, <laughs> few drinks, lovely. They'll never re, that chief financial, chief financial officer will never reinvest if they don't fundamentally believe that you can drive continuous improvement by improving the quality of your data, information and knowledge justified by the benefits that come out of it, right? So that's the first point. You've got to understand what the numbers are and a lot. And, and the trouble is a lot of the benefits that well, the business impact are intangible. Risk is intangible. Staff satisfaction is intangible. Customer centricity is intangible. Yeah. How do you go about putting that? And we've got to start thinking hard about that. The second, the second part of the answer, Carl, is that Unless you understand where you are and unless you understand where you want to go, you can't put a roadmap together. I don't know where I am, so I don't know where to start, and I don't know where I, I don't know where I want to end up. And ending up maybe in three months' time, it might be in a year's time, it might be in five years' time. Ideally, it's never, right? Ideally, you never ever get to the end of the project because it's continuous. I've never had a client. I have never had a client in a quarter of a century who continuously reinvests in the quality of their data based upon the benefit they get out of it. Not one. And there are plenty of good reasons for that. And, and these are the, all the sorts of reasons that came tumbling out of this research. Yeah, fascinating stuff. 
I think that's a that's a great start. If not, <laughs> maybe it's one of those ones where we keep tumbling forward as well, trying to <laughs> get to that future. Um, James, I, I just I'm I'm jumping in a little just because I'm really interested. Um, what I mean, you would have heard in the last episode, we were really wrangling with, well, how how do we get to some of those tangible things? And you gave an example there of that winery where they identified what that you know uh, kind of productivity improvement was in a quantified way. Well, they did quantify it. Um, I'm interested if you could say anything more about that, or if not that, then perhaps another example of how you might go about that. Yeah, look, it's it, look, it's 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 really interesting. Um, that, that's a that's a that's a really interesting question because where I would where I would love us to get to is to the point where we're doing time and motion studies. But yeah, time and motion we've studies about this. Are, yeah. Uh, firstly, they're really expensive, and secondly, they're really invasive, and you you. you yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they are the it's, only thing that you know. You get a business unit manager, and you say to them, "We clocked your staff, and here's what we found." You've got some chance they'll believe you. You go to them with Gartner or something like that. No one, everyone believes that their business unit's an exemplar and is performing better than the industry average. Everyone believes that. Yeah, but even so, even so people like, like Gartner do, aren't doing that very much. It's really hard to get any kind of statistics anywhere about. You know the time wasted in searching or whatever it is. It's really, really hard to get any statistics. And I, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say people are very um, unwilling to do that kind of research. But if it's couched in a "and we want to help you" kind of way, you'd think people would do that. That pre and post mortem stuff that we've talked about before. Yeah, Judy, it's, it's 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 really interesting. What what we coming back to knowing where you are and where you want to mm. go. We tend to we tend to find that people are are interested in that because they they want to know what they they want to know what they've got to do in, in order to improve. And you know, if we don't think we're living in the in the, in the knowledge economy or the digital economy, there's a, there's a fantastic piece of work done by a mob called Ocean Tomo. Now, I don't know whether you've come across these guys. They're based in Chicago. They've looked at the the S and P five hundred. Now, this is this is not the sexy Nasdaq with the Metas and the Amazons and so on. This is the, you know, this is the grubby old manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies and so on. And what they've done is that they've had a look at the contribution that intangible assets have made to the S and P five hundred over time. Now. In, how do they calculate that? Well, they, you, you look at the market capitalization. I mean, the S and P's. It, it's you know, it's, it, they're publicly listed companies. But, so you look at the market capitalization, and then you look at the balance sheet, and you subtract from the market capitalization the value of the tangible assets. Right? All the tangible assets that are on the balance sheet. You take one from the other, and the difference is the intangible assets. Now, in 1974, 17 percent of the value of the S and P 500 was contributed to by intangible assets. Now, in 2020, so just recently, Ocean Tomo went back and they redid that piece of work. Any idea of what the contribution would be today? 80%. 90. It's 90%. So if we don't think we're living in the knowledge economy, if we don't think data, information and knowledge is a critical enabler to our businesses, if we think that we can conduct business without a computer, it's time we thought again. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, I keep I've I've been banging on for the last couple of years about how I think now is the greatest time to be in information management ever. 
because we've bought all the toys. The only oh. thing left to do is to focus on the quality of the information that all the toys are, are shuffling around. And, you know, I think this really reinforces that. Do you know, Carl, I'm working at the moment with a, a £2 billion organisation. They spend 180 million quid a year on digital. It's about a third of a billion dollars. All they want to do is buy Copilot. It just, it just, you know, it's one of the reasons, there's a reason why I'm as bold as a coot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think Copilot is going to be, I think Copilot and things like it are going to be transformational for knowledge work. Oh, absolutely. But, but I also, I mean, I was talking to somebody at a, a department yesterday about, you know, just how much you have to have your house in order from a security privilege management and a confidentiality management standpoint before you could really turn it on and use it well, though. And I think I think there are a lot of organisations that are, that are going to have to do a lot of getting their houses in order before they're actually able to use it. And I think that's going to be a great place for people in the information management industry to, to to do a lot of work and really drive home how important this stuff is. But I mean, so much of the automation that we can do, should be doing, you know, that, that's based on tech we've had for 25, 30, 40 years. I mean, we still need structure there. We still need good mm. metadata. We still need reliable placement because you know, as long as as long as Copilot is surfacing this stuff to a human that can sit there and make a decision and say, yes, that's the thing that I need, and I can go off and and sense check it, you know, to make sure that my references are correct. I saw it's Giancarlo Guzzardi from one of the he he writes great papers about ontologies and the, about ontology management and those sorts of things. Um, posting yesterday that he'd seen something in a thesis um, that that was a reference for a paper that he'd never written and what he was saying he thought would ha had happened was that somebody had been using chat gpt or something like it to construct their reference list and it had just constructed this figment of a reference and i mean as long as there is a person there who can make a decision about those things and check them i think it can be a great work accelerator but it's still not going to be as great a work accelerator as just having the right information in the right place at the right time so you don't have to go looking, you don't have to bugger around with some AI tool, and then you don't have to go and do all of the checking to make sure that the AI tools actually delivered the thing that you need, let alone all the automation that you should be doing to make sure that, you know, you didn't have to do that, you know, you didn't have to shuffle that piece of paper for someone in the first place. And, and, it's, and it's, Carl, it's not as if any of this is new. I mean, <clears throat> you, 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 three young, you three young things, I suspect, are too young <clears throat> to remember VisiCalc. Now, VisiCalc was a was a spreadsheet, and it was the precursor to Multimate and Multi uh, Multiplan, and Multiplan was the precursor to Lotus One Two Three, and Lotus One Two Two Three was the precursor to Microsoft itself. VisiCalc was released in 1979. By 1981, VisiCalc had put out of work 200,000 American accounting clerks, eye shades, pencils adding up columns of figures, right? 200,000 people lost their job. 600,000 advisory roles had been created because what had happened was that the drudgery had been taken away and the people who had been accounting clerks 
had had morphed into becoming account had be, becoming accounting advisors. Now, Carl, coming back to your your your, your comment about ChatGPT and the quality of the data, if the numbers were wrong, it didn't matter that you had an accounting clerk with 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 an eye shade and a pencil, or you had a spreadsheet. The numbers you were going to get at the end were still going to be wrong. Mm. Mm. Right now, this we, we talk about garbage in, garbage out. 1864, 1864 was when Charles, Charles Babbage said in, in response to two questions or questions from two parliamentarians who had said something along the lines of, pray, Mr. Babbage, if you put the wrong, if you put the wrong information into the machine, will the right information come out? And Babbage said something along the lines of, I, I, I don't understand the confusion of ideas that would prompt such a question. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, it, it does. It does Nicely sort of really, put. <laughs> it, it, it does. It does bring back the the perennial challenge, though, about what is the authoritative thing, and this is one of these things. You know, I mean, I, I've just I, I used to work for one of these AI, you know, startups that uses AI to do everything, records management, and one of the things I constantly had to reinforce was we can't solve the authority problem. You know, we AI AI cannot say this is the authoritative no. document. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm always loath to say can't because then inevitably someone shows you how it can. But generally, what it can do is find you all of the things that look like that thing. But then, which one of these is the authoritative version of that thing? I mean, that comes down to people agreeing on how they're going to treat a thing. You know, we are going to put the authoritative thing here. You know, we're going to check it into GitHub. Um, we're going to check it into, you know, this this particular place. We're going to have, it's going to this website and we're all going to refer to that. I mean, there is a decision people have to make about a process there. Yeah. And I cannot, I can't see how Copilot or ChatGPT or any of those kinds of things remove that fundamental problem. And, and if you're working in an industry where, you know, using the wrong information can have serious consequences, which, you know, is most of them, you know. But if you're working in, you know, like a, an organisation I, I spent a bit of time with was was doing chemical manufacturing, you know, if you, if you, <laughs> if you use the chat GPT formula for, you know, something, some kind of fertiliser or something that, you, that you're making, I mean, you can end up with a high explosive instead of fertiliser. And I mean, you know, that, that's a pretty serious consequence. But, you know, I mean, everything. Imagine imagine manufacturing, you know, a million bolts at, 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 with the wrong thread count in them or, you know, whatever that thing that you do happens to be. You know, I mean, I think that problem of authority, that is still going to be something, that, even in this age of AI, is still mm. going to be something that we need people to solve with a process and an agreement about uh, how absolutely. we do Absolutely. I mean, you can have all the nice toys you want. Yes, please. But... If you don't have the process and the governance and the standards and the quality data quality, then you might as well go home, really, or t chuck the toys out of your pram. Judy, I, I, I want to come back to your previous question, as in how do you get? I mean, we, oh yeah, none of the stuff will none, none of the stuff will resonate unless it comes back to the question that you asked about how do you get people to identify. The, the the risk and the cost and the risk and the, uh, the risk yeah. and the cost and the, the the value and the benefit or waste if it's managed badly and the and the ethics the, the, look the, the way we do it is pretty rudimentary and and admittedly so but you you, you can't 
you know, you, you can't get people to sprint before they can run, let alone walk. So what we tend to do is we, is we tend to help them understand where they are from a maturity perspective. Mm. So what came out of all of our research was a, mature, was a maturity assessment. And we've built a holistic model, which we've published. It's on the Experience right. Matters website. It's on, I'm not sure whether it's on the dataleaders.org website, but there's a, it's, it's called a holistic, holistic information asset management model or something along those sorts of lines. Um, <clears throat> and I can, send, I can send you a link to the paper. It's, it's public domain. Be in the show notes. We'll put it in. Yep. That'd be it's, great. It's, Thanks, James. Uh, unless we address these 10, these 10 domains, we're, we're leaving stuff out. Now, most of the big maturity assessment well, maturity models are really good at information governance or data governance, and they're really good at information systems. But just as an example, I, I, was, <clears throat> was asked, I was asked to present at a national conference for the Governance Institute of Australia, and I said, hands up all of you people who have some sort of information governance. It might be a records policy. It might be a cyber or security policy, whatever it is. Who has 170 people in the room, every hand went up. That's fantastic. Round of applause, everybody happy. And how many of you work for an organisation in which that policy is diligently enforced with good behaviour rewarded and bad behaviour discouraged? Two people put their hands up and they were both from ICAC in Queensland. And I said, that is a disgrace. Your governance people, why would you go to the money, to the effort and and the expense of developing a policy that you cannot be bothered yeah. implementing. And there was then a silence and shuffling and so on. I said, let me tell you why. Because this has all come out of our research. So the reason why people don't or organisations don't impose these standards and behaviours is because management is, you know, they don't want to. They don't, don't want to tell their staff off for not calling something the right thing and putting it in the right place or whatever. <clears throat> so if management is uncomfortable about that. Why is that? Well, the answer is there's nobody being held accountable for the quality of the data in the organisation. So if we say, let's have a look at how money's managed. There's a, there's a framework, a really strict framework where there can be no item of expenditure recorded in more than, in more than one place. There is a single source of truth. Hmm. There is a single system of record for all of the expenditure in the organisation. It's called a chart of accounts. Now, in information management, we have a chart of accounts. It's called a business classification scheme. Who knows what a business classification scheme is? Flaming nobody. Certainly not at executive or board level, right? This is buried in the basement where the librarians and the records managers and the historians and archivists all work, right? Why do they work down there? Because nobody understands the value of the work that they do. There are tools by which we manage the money, balance sheets, income statements, cash flow analyses, all that sort of stuff. We have tools by which we manage information. We have retention and disposal schedules. We have metadata. We have master data models. We have security models. We have all this stuff, but nobody understands what they do. Ask a board member what a a retention and disposal schedule is. Mm. They don't know. And yet it's a critical instrument for managing the life cycle. Why would you hang on to data that is obsolete? Why would you hang on to data that is that is a liability? Ask Latitude Financial about that. Right? It's incredibly damaging. We have carefully delegated authority. Now, there's only a very few people who can spend a certain amount of money for a certain purpose in a certain time frame. 
They're the people who manage the the financial assets of the organisation. And finally, there is true accountability. A chief financial officer will be sacked if he or she mismanages the money and they'll be jailed if they misappropriate it. We have things called CIOs. They're not CIOs. They're Uh, IT managers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nobody being held accountable for the quality of the data in the organisation. Nobody. And yet we've just established that the value of that asset or the contribution of that asset to the S&P 500 is 90% of the value of the organisation and nobody's accountable? Yeah. It's bizarre. So when I, I'm, as you know, I'm getting old. And all my mates are retiring and they're all, you know, they're all managing partners or they're chief executives or the chief financial officers. And they go on to the, they go to be non-executive directors on boards. And that's all very good. And I say to them, so boys and girls, how often do you ask to see the financial statements? And they say, James, you're an idiot. We ask to see the financial statements every single board meeting, every single month. I say, that's fantastic. You're governing as a as a as a board member, your job is oversight and control, you're governing that asset well. You've only got four assets, your, your money, your people, your physical infrastructure and property, and your data information and knowledge. So how often mm. do you ask to see the information statements? Mm. And the science. Mm, crickets. And they say, what are they? And then you say, you're a director of, of your productivity. 90% yeah. of your business. You're, you're a director of this organisation it's about oversight and control. 90% of the value of the organisation is contributed to by the data, information That's and knowledge amazing. in your organisation. And you don't even know what questions to ask. You are at the wheel of the bus and you are fast asleep. It's negligent. It's actually negligent. So <clears throat> I'll get off my pedestal now, Judy, and come back to your question. <laughs> now, we, we love a soapbox here. Michael, yeah. keeps, Michael generally keeps me off, you know, <laughs> keeps me off mine for too long. So, <laughs> so look, it's, it's rudimentary. We get them in a room. We say to them, we want to understand what your current practices are and what the business impact are of those practices. We run them around the, the holistic model. We ask them questions about each of the 10 domains. But the one that we focus on is, is the business impact. And we ask them really simple questions. We say, how, long, how, how much time do you waste do you waste on email that you shouldn't be seeing? How much time do you waste looking for stuff that you know is there? How much time do you waste looking for stuff that you don't know is there? How much time do you waste in version control? Right? Bloody hell, it's the, wrong, it's the wrong version of the document. And some of that, you know, some of that can be, some of that stuff can be really damaging. We were working for an, an, an energy, I was an energy producer in a power station and a project manager had given an excavator driver an obsolete site plan and the, and, and the teeth of the excavator went through the plastic coating on the outside of an 11,000-volt cable that oh. had been buried since that obsolete site plan had been. Jeez. Now, I mean, that's just, that, that is appalling behaviour mm. and yet this, this is hilarious, this organisation. It's a, it's a huge organisation. It's an Australian listed company. They said to us, I had, a, I had an archival team in there. We were you know, paying them 25 bucks an hour or something. And they, they had this situation where they clearly, you know, clearly there was a, a, an issue with version control. They said to us, oh, can you put together a, 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 an information asset management strategy? So we did. And, of course, that was going to be expensive. You know, so so what, the, what the customer did was that they, they took 
that they took the proposal for the strategy and gave it to the archiving team and said, hey, can you boys do this for us? And yeah. they came straight back to me and said, what's going on here? Of course we can't do this. So I went back to the client and I said, listen, um, I'm going to, uh, um, to honour my commitments to you. We will finish the archiving project, but I am going to withdraw my proposal until you can demonstrate to me that you're genuinely interested in fixing this information problem and we have never worked for them again. So, 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 Judy, just coming back to, again, coming back to you, um, what happens is that we start this thing off with a, a, a quick presentation on the importance of information, and what we do is we then get them to introduce themselves, and we say, tell us about your experience, and then they pile on. Right. And then that's fantastic because they, you know, they all say, this is just awful. IT is the worst. It's the yeah. single greatest inhibitor to our business, et cetera, et cetera. And then we say, right. We're all in violent agreement that we've got a problem. Let's see what we can do to fix it. And, we, and then we take them through the survey to say, okay, what's the maturity? And out of, at each level of maturity, there's a, there's, a, there's a recommendation, and from the recommendations, you can build the roadmap. But what it does, Judy, is it gives you, some, as I said, some really rudimentary figures around what it's costing the organisation to yeah. do this stuff badly. And if you just start there, hey, you're away. Do, do you ever run into the, the issue that if you're talking to the board members, they just say, oh, I don't know how long it takes. My PA does all that for me. Yeah. The, the little people do that. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 is, that is exactly right. But it's at, that, it's at that point that I come back to them and say, hang on, you, need, you actually need to understand this. You're, you're a board member. You need to yeah, understand yeah, yeah. The, the risk and the cost and the value and the benefit and the, and the ethics associated with how you're managing, how your organisation mm-hmm. and how the little people are managing this critical business asset. Now, there's a, I won't tell you who this is so, so, I, can, so I can give you some of the numbers, but I, I will tell you that it's a government department of correctional services. These, these, guys, are, these, run, these guys run the prisons. They accidentally released into the community 34 prisoners prematurely and they incarcerated one guy for five years longer than he should have been. I mean, this is this is appalling. The reason why they did it was because they were holding their, their case notes in Microsoft Calendar, right? Now, why were they holding their case notes in Microsoft Calendar? Because they didn't understand the importance of that information and the, and the business impact of that information, mm-hmm. and they didn't give their information team, of which there were eight, the right level in the organisation. So in their job descriptions, there were tasks that include, and I quote, answering telephones, filling photocopiers with paper and removing staples. I mean, it's just, it's just magnificent, isn't it? So, so there's, a, there's a fundamental like- lack of understanding at board and sea and, and level, <sighs> level of, the, of the value of information and the contribution that people who understand how to manage this asset yeah. contribute to the business. Amazing. Well, that's suitably depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, some, well, it depends upon how you look at it. I'm, I'm, yeah, Judy, sure. I'm, 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 an, I'm irrepress- irrepressibly optimistic and I'm yeah. opportunity, I'm, 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 I'm opportunity. glass half full kind of person yeah. and I say, this is bad. I mean, you're right, it is depressing, but look at the opportunity. Yeah. Oh, yeah it is yeah, amazing. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, you know, businesses. I mean, you know, your, your number of ninety percent is amazing, James. But, it you know, is. I mean, I've, I've always looked it's extraordinary. At, I, I've always looked at organisations I've worked with and thought there is a fifty percent, you know, 
performance hit that this organization that this organization's taking because of just poor information management, because of an inability to put the right information in the right place at the right time and right level of quality. And so I'm not surprised. And, and but the thing, Carl, is that it it, is, it can actually be actually be incredibly simple. We we tend to make this stuff much more difficult than it needs to be. And, and the Pareto principle absolutely applies. So there's a brilliant story from a mob called SBI General. Now, SBI is the State Bank of India, and General is Australia's IAG, Insurance Australia Group. It's called SBI General because they're selling IAG's general insurance policies to SBI, to, to, to the State Bank of India's customers. Guess how many they're selling? I'll tell you, 1.7 million. Wow. 1.7 million new policies a month. I mean, it's just it's eye-watering. And I said to Anthony DeVassi, who was the um, director of information for that organisation, it was a, it's a startup, right? It's only about 10 or 12 years old, 15 years, whatever, however, however old it is. And, um, and Anthony was part of the business before they appointed the new incoming inaugural chief executive, and Anthony's got to speak to the board. And Anthony said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, Anthony said to the board, what do you guys do? And the board said, Anthony, you numbskull, we're an insurance company. And Anthony said, are we? And the board said, what do you mean by that? And Anthony said, well, what what does an insurance company do? Mm, And the board mm. said, well, we price risk. And Anthony said, well, how do we do that? And the board said, well, we, we take a particular situation, an, an individual or a business or whatever, and we understand the context and the so on, and against that, we take a financial position. Because if this thing doesn't work, then, then we, we, don't want to be, we, we don't want to play. But if it does work, then, yeah, we'll, we'll insure them. So what we're doing is we're pricing the risk of this particular individual or, or organisation. And Anthony said, so yeah. how important is that information? And the board said, well, it's critical. We can't. It's it's and they, yeah. and they got to the point where they said without that information the organisation yeah. cannot function. It is the most critical asset in the entire organisation. And Anthony said, well, "What are you going to do about it?" And the 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 the, the board appointed the the inaugural chief executive, and and they and part of that bloke's appointment was that was some um, he had hit some data quality targets. Within a week of being appointed, he offered. Every branch, a thousand US dollars, which is a lot of money in India, at, at branch level, so it was distributed equally across the branch and was thus a team incentive, a thousand dollars if they hit certain data quality targets. It was really simple: customer first name, customer last name, customer telephone number, and overnight, the quality of the data on those three data elements went from sixty-eight percent to ninety-three. Wow! So, from thirty-two percent of all information in that in, in, in those three data elements being wrong, to only seven percent. Brilliant! And as a result, they have been smoking it. It's just the best example of how a sim- of how a simple thing can f- profoundly transform the, the data landscape of that organisation. But what are the salient lessons that came out of this? Two main lessons probably more. The first is that they effectively made the chief executive accountable for the quality of the data. Now, we're working with Australian Navy, and we've got a brilliant client in the naval construction branch. 
And the, ch- the chief executive, the executive director of, of Naval Construction Branch is a bloke called Greg McPherson. And I, and I said to Greg, Greg, I'd, I want you to accept accountability for the quality of the data in this organisation. He said, why on earth would I do that? I said, well, because you're not going to get quality, the quality data unless the people in the shipyard understand the, the sanctity of this information and they understand the importance of getting it right. So it's a behavioural issue and it affects every single person in this organisation. Now, you can do what most chief executives do and go to your director of corporate services or somebody even lower and you can make them accountable for the quality of the data or responsible or whatever. They don't even make them accountable because they won't be sacked. You can, you can say the quality of the data is, is, is your responsibility. In this case, it's Murray. Now, Murray has there's five directors and, he, and, and Murray would go off to his five, his five mates and he would say to Tim and Tony and Roger and so on, I am going to make you and your people behave in the way I'm going to tell you to. Now, my question then is, how many words would Tony take to respond to Murray? And I reckon if the first word is Murray, then the full response would be three words. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not going to work, is it? So I said to Craig, unless you, you I said, you are the most junior person in this organisation with the raw authority to impose the standards and behaviours on this organisation that it needs in order to guarantee data quality. And so, therefore, I would like you to accept accountability for the quality of the data in NCB. And I told Laura Sebastian Coleman this um, this story. Laura has, is, is a, an, another prolific writer, and she has, well, she's she's a written pile this of excellent books on things. data quality and yeah. But she's also the editor of the of the Bible of Data Governance, which is. Um, the, da, the Dharma's DM Bok. She's the editor. And I said, I told Laura this story and she pushed her chair back from her desk and she bowed. <laughs> because this is where we need to get to. We need to get the executive to the point where they understand that this is a behavioural issue. It comes down to what stuff is called and where it is put. And that yeah. means to say that people have to call it the right thing and put it in the right place. Yeah. And if you can do that, then you're going to get the kinds of results that Greg Pierce at 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 um, Rycroft Winery and Anthony Devassi at SBI General. That's what they got because they they got to the chief executive, and it was Greg's. Greg was the chief executive, and 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 the accountability for the quality of the data was sheeted home to that very very senior level. And hey, presto, brilliant results. But most executives don't understand it. They don't want to be involved in it because it's you know it's boring, and they and they and they push it down to somebody who has removing staples in their job description, and we wonder why it doesn't work. Unbelievable. So, 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 Judy, we start we start really small. Yeah. We do really simple stuff. Yeah. We show that what the sense. what the business impact is, and then with any luck. Away they go, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time to yeah. to, to spend with us today. I mean, I, I really late. enjoyed this, and I, I hope Michael and Judy have as well. I hope everybody sure. watching does. Um, if you can send us some links to your papers, we, we'll post them in the show notes. We'll post a link to your book as well, which I've pre-ordered. 
arriving you, in the 22nd. I mean, you probably don't want it. You probably don't want it signed, but if you do, I'd be nothing less than delighted. <laughs> uh, Mate, it's the it's the ebook, so you'd have to sign my uh, have to sign. <laughs> maybe you could sign my iPad. Maybe my iPad would become more valuable if you signed it. Um, yeah, but I'll be doing I'll be I'll be doing it like Ken Doan with a with a, a brush, you know, like a like a forge brush. Um, look, I, look, I, I, look, I love talking to people who who get it, and and Michael and Judy, thank you for having me on board. Um, if there's anything I can do to contribute, I would be nothing less than delighted. Fantastic. And Carl, thank you, thank you for the introduction. It's um, I, I've loved it, mate. Welcome. Great to have you on. Great. Yes, all. Okay. Thank see you. you next time. Bye. Cheerio.